Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio. Uncut Angling put out a video about barotrauma and forward-facing sonar. And we did see fish that went down and then floated back up and were not seen again. So the DNR doesn't want to ban it. I'm certainly not one for increasing restrictions on fisheries. You guys weren't going out there to do this so the DNR can make decisions based off this one time out there. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I fish, I hunt, and always will. That's our motto here, and it's been our motto for a long time, and we mean it. From advocacy to promotion to creating content aimed at educating and informing people about the outdoors. We love it. We live it. We're doing it all the time, and we're doing what we can to ensure that our rights to hunt and fish and provide uh, our rights to hunt and fish and provide what God in the land provides forever for you. And that's where Fish Hunt Forever came from. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in. we got a pretty good show for you this week to talk about fishing forever and the sustainability of our fisheries, the effects of technology on those fisheries, what fishing in deep water might, might mean. If you're an angler around this region, you probably heard about a video from Uncut Angling that come out that's come out recently in response to a video from Angling Buzz. Well, we've heard uh, Aaron's side of the story, and now we're going to hear from Jeremy Smith's side of the story uh, on, on that video and what's planned for the future. And uh, he's going to tell us all about that coming up in a little bit on the show. And we're also going to talk about the end of the year. Man, it's... Uh, it's a very depressing week for me. Well, last week of the hunting season, we'll talk about how it's going. We want to hear about how your season has gone. But first, Dan Amundsen is sitting right over there. Dan, hey, what's up? Hey, I'm super excited to talk. Before we get into, it, I'm super excited to talk to Jeremy about this. This is uh, this topic. When we watch this video, it struck a nerve. <laughs> I know it did. Um, you don't. Uh, we you don't try to throw. I. That's all I'll say for now. When that video came out, what was it on Wednesday? Yeah. And so Wednesday night, our phones were just going crazy. Did you see the video? Did you watch this video yet? So we sat down. I don't know. It was about 11 o'clock probably. Oh, I don't think it was that 10 o'clock. It was after the wild game. So whatever. It was late. And Dan's like, we need to do the podcast right now. I did not let's, say let's, that directly. Let's get Jeremy but. on the phone right now. Let's get him on the show. We need to talk about this because it's it's a big thing. And and uh, as we'll discuss with Jeremy, I think we're we are appreciative of what Aaron is trying to convey in that video. Yeah, he's got the right idea. I just feel like there's a maybe an unintended message that's being spread that's going to be spread to our anglers of um, it might be okay to try to release crappies in deep water. Yeah, it might be, but it also might not be. And if it's not, and people start doing it a lot, we're going to have issues. And we'll save most of that conversation for with uh, Jeremy Smith, but. Um, I could talk about it for a long time. I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on it. Maybe we will talk about it again next week when we well, run we got out of an time hour today. to fill. So I mean, well, that's gonna... true. Should we just go for an hour? <laughs> Want me to just go for an hour? We've got two fine guests sitting across yeah. the room who've been sitting here waiting to talk to us. Well, uh, sorry, Dad, you're not going to be on the show again this week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, whoops! There he is. Uh, there he is. And goodbye. Thanks for joining us. Show's over. 
Uh, it's funny. All right. Uh, so, yeah, we got uh, a couple of guys. Wade Amundsen, who's uh, my brother and Dan's uh, dad, is joining us here in studio along with his uh, longtime friend, Russ Gurman. And then we got a couple other buddies here. Uh, uh, Jason Markle is with us, and also Ryan Remmers is, is with us. We're doing a, a, some late-season pheasant hunting, so we're going to talk about how that has gone for us and how wet we're getting and how different it is this year compared to years past. But first, if Dan is ready, we sure. will talk about the sponsors of yeah. this week's show. We love our sponsors. Live Target. Match the hatch at LiveTargetLures.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the wall of capital. Plan a trip for this winter at LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Learn more at HaybellHeights.com. We should update that so it's a snow bear. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at OttertailLakesCountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman. We are so close to the new season coming up in January, but you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. That's the best I've done that all year. Oh, that's good. Last year, best year. Only took you 52 weeks to get better at it. Yeah. More so. And then we'll probably change it all next year. And it'll be <laughs> we do have some new sponsors coming on board. We're going to have to update that. So Good. if you want to be a sponsor of the show, contact us at SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can check out the latest episode of the North American Waterfall Podcast. We've got another waterfall-only themed podcast in the first series. First season of that series is all about bands and crazy band stories and banding methods. And Brian Huber is our guest on the new one. He's uh, the birdieologist on Instagram. He's had some wild birding video, bird banding videos on YouTube. I said, man, you got to be on the show. So I had a chance to talk to him. Uh, he's out in California, works for California Waterfowl. Uh, so you can listen to that now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Look for the North American Waterfowl podcast, or you can watch it on this YouTube channel right here, Sporting Journal Radio. All right. The end is here. The end of hunting season. No more cupped wings over decoys, no more long sits in a tree stand, and no more heart-thumping flushes from the tall grass. My least favorite week of the year. You know what? Thankfully, we've got holidays bookending it, because otherwise, it'd be, it'd be a rough week for me. I know I know. I probably hunt, get into hunting more than um, most of you guys in this room anyway. I know, Dan, you probably more on the fishing side of it. Uh, can't do that very much right now. Yeah, say at least we have ice fishing to look forward to. <laughs> Wrong. Whoops. Man. Uh, by the way, don't ice fish right now. Please be safe out there. I know we're starting. It's been cold again a little bit. It's starting to get cold again a little bit. Um, but my gosh, if you're going to ice fish, please be very, very safe out there. Yeah, say uh, there's some spots you can go. I know there are. I don't care. But yeah, Just, be really careful because, yeah, that's it's all not worth say about it. that. It's not worth it. So please, please be safe. All right. How is your hunting season gone? How has your hunting season gone? Please comment below. Leave a message. Leave a comment. Like this video. Share it. Subscribe to our channel. You could win yourself this hoodie right here. Not this one. I'll give you a new one. I promise. Although this one wow. is brand new. Just got this one in the mail today. I like it. Brand new Fish Hunt Forever hoodies in the Sporting Journal Radio store. We got hats. We got hoodies. We got mugs. All kinds of stuff. You can go check it out right now at SportingJournalRadio.com or you could win it if you comment below on our videos. All right. It's been a, a wild end of the year here, Dan. Um, obviously, when we when we were up at Lake of the Woods hunting out of layout boats in 15 degree water in the harbor up at uh, Young's Bay up there was freezing up. We had to break ice to get back in when we came in from hunting. We had to break ice to get the boat back to the dock. Would you have ever guessed that at the end of December, we'd, we'd have open water? Never. 
Um, I've been waiting to take my boat in for repairs. I'm doing that. I'm bringing it to Intune Marine on like Tuesday or something. I really wish I'd have done it like two months ago because I could be in it right now going fishing out on open water instead of uh, at the end of hunting season not knowing what to do with my time because I'm not going ice fishing and I won't have a boat. So, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the warmest Decembers I can remember. Um, but that happens, you know. The weather's cyclical. Maybe it's, uh, I don't want to go. I don't. Well, I'm going to open a rabbit hole. I yeah. don't want to go. Down. And all you have to do is look back on your memories on Facebook or Snapchat or wherever. And you'll see, I think three years ago, we had a brown Christmas. Yep. You know, it, it was probably a little bit colder, but I know I've got a picture of, I think, us pheasant hunting this time of year, last uh, a couple of years ago, and there was no snow on the ground. Last year was maybe a different story. It was very, very snowy. Yeah, there was, I saw a Snapchat memory of a snowdrift over my door of my house, like, I had to basically crawl through a window to get the door open and yeah. then, uh, cause it was completely drifted over the top of the door. So everything um, equals out, you know, yeah. we talked about it with like the Vikings, the Vikings had a great season last year. Now kind of a pretty, whatever season this year, they average out. They had a, you know, why'd you have to bring them up? Like I'm already depressed enough this week. I need to talk. Cause who cares? Yeah. It's honestly, it's I don't over. I don't. But the Wild, you know, uh, at least we have the Wild. They're, they've turned things around. Yeah. A new coach. Pretty so, excited about that. How wild what, is that? We should talk to him about barrel trauma. Get their thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk to Jeremy Smith from Angling Buzz. They put out the barrel trauma video. In fact, we had Jeremy on this very show uh, a few months ago, I suppose, to talk about it. Yeah, that's this summer. Yeah. Something like that. We're going to have Jeremy on again to respond to the uncut angling video that came out. Um, that was uh, talking about flaws in their methods and all of that stuff so we'll have jeremy respond in uh, just a few minutes and we're going to come back and talk about our favorite moments of the year we want to hear about yours as well and uh, talk to our, our guests that we got here in studio so uh, more from sporting journal radio on the way stay there lake of the woods the walleye capital of the world is calling out to you from the northwest angle to the south shore and rainy river this is the midwest's number one ice fishing destination walleye sagar perch, northern pike, and eel power. The fishing on Lake of the Woods is like a world of its own. Experience the most amazing fishing through one of the many full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper fish house options. For more information, go to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. We're back, Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Comment below on anything we talk about, and you could win yourself some gear from the Sporting Journal Radio store. Dan Amundsen sitting right over there showing off the lovely Live Target Live gear. Target. Thank we love our it. friends at Live Target. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Live Target. And over there underneath the Live Target banner, we have uh, my brother and Wade, uh, Dan's dad, Wade Amundsen, on the left, and his longtime friend, Russ Gurman on the right. Guys, how's it Hello. going? Hey, great. Russ, great. I'm trying to remember the last time I, I saw you. It's been quite a few years, probably 30 at least, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. Probably. Yep. My memory that I always tell people when your name comes up is you and I driving up to the Boundary Waters. And we were going to meet Wade, and I don't remember who else was on that trip, but we were driving separate, and I hopped in your Ranger. Probably the Ranger, yeah. 
The Red Ranger. It was the Red Ranger. Yep. And this is back before, you know, Google Maps and GPSs and all that. So I, I, we, we might add a paper map. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, we had an atlas, one of those fold-out <laughs> things. Yep. And we're, we're trying to find, I think we were, were we trying to find the Chainsaw Sisters Saloon? Oh, yeah. Yep, that's where we were yeah, going. Yeah, we were going in at Chainsaws, and there was a forest road that looked like it was a shortcut that was going to save, like, three miles. So you guys decided to go. Yep. I think it was more than that. I think it would have saved us, like, an hour. It might did have it? been three miles as a crow, crow did it? flies. <laughs> yeah. It did not. It did not. Russ, oh, yeah. do you want to take the story from here? Oh, from from what I remember, we uh, we had to build a bridge with logs. <laughs> He's not kidding. A, <laughs> there was there was a bridge there, but the the width of the uh, planks didn't quite match up with the truck, so. We fell off a few times. <laughs> we did. Like all of a sudden, the one wheel is hanging over. So it's a, it, let's describe this a little bit. It was a, a river or a bigger creek, yep. and it was probably a four foot drop or so. Yep. And yep. It, maybe ten feet wide. I, I mean, this yep. is a long time ago, so oh, yeah. it might yep. be a little fuzzy, but something yep. like that. Water's rushing. Like there's pretty good movement. I don't think it was real deep. I mean, I wasn't really fearful of my life or anything. But if we'd have dumped that truck, <laughs> it would have been a, we didn't need a wrecker. That's yeah. for sure. We would have been there a lot longer than we already were. Would, would have shortened up our fishing trip. Well, and worse, we wouldn't have known where you were. Yeah, we had no, no idea where, I think you guys went up ahead of us yeah. and yeah. we had no idea where you would have been. Yep. No one would have known. Yeah, well, that was we might not be having phones. this conversation today because you guys have been gone. I remember, I think we would have survived. I remember thinking... I'm not sure we should be going this way when the road turned into like a two track and like branches were scraping the side of the truck. And then there was a duck swimming in the road in front of us. If that, I, I might be mixing up the trips, but if I remember right, there was a flooded part of the road and a, yep. like a mallard sw swimming down the road. I'm like, ah, it's not that deep. Drove through that and then got to that river and tried to cross and we're like, yep. hmm. Yeah, that took a few hours to get through. <laughs> we made it though. We made her. I think we, we had to go back, didn't we back? Did we make it across, or do we have to backtrack and go around? I think we ended up backtracking. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Good times. <laughs> Sounds like it. And <laughs> saying that wouldn't have been the first time you got that truck stuck. No, no. Oh, there's. Oh no, I've got pictures of Russ with that truck up to the axles in mud and back in the woods, and yep. we were cutting trees and putting it under the wheels then too. Mm -hmm. You don't learn quickly, do you? No, it's fun though. <laughs> so how do you guys know each other? Oh, we're high school friends. Yeah. yeah. So we, we met shortly after I moved back to Woodbury back in 1984. Yep. And uh, we started hanging out and uh, spent a lot of times working on our Volkswagen Beetles. And That's right. Drinking yep. some Pfeiffer long necks. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> soon now we're chasing long tailed roosters today. So yep. it's been kind of full circle. Yep. Russ, did you take him in as a pity friend or how'd that happen? <laughs> wow. <laughs> He always oh, needed help yeah. getting his car to run. So. <laughs> thanks, thanks, son. <laughs> you can't come on this Jeez. show and not get made fun of by me. Wow. What'd you expect? Well, a little respect. I mean, come on. I love you. Yeah, I love you, that too. That counts for anything. Well, it should. Yeah. You came out and pheasant hunted with us. Yeah. Hey, Russ did show me a rare talent that I have, though, and that is holding a flashlight so whoever's doing the real work can see. <laughs> I mastered that. Yeah. What were we talking about last night that 
that some some something that we did was something that we got from you, Wade, that you got from right. What was that last night that we were? Well, I think, you know, for what I would say is it started, you know, we always grew up hunting in Wisconsin, but at one point, I think it was on one of our canoe trips, Russ and I were talking about, we should deer hunt. And so he invited me up to uh, his parents' place and we deer hunted in Minnesota for the first time. And that's where I got started hunting deer in Minnesota. And that translated into eventually us going. And uh, we had a good time doing that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. There was something else. I'm trying to remember. It was something that... Well, whatever. It doesn't matter now. Cool story, man. Yeah, I know. I'm, I was <laughs> wow. hoping one of you guys would have a better memory than I would, but obviously, uh, nope. talking to the wrong people. No, nope. yeah. <laughs> were we there? I mean, I, I don't know. We <laughs> talked about it right there, like Wade ten feet away last sleeping night on the couch. By yeah, then. he might have been snoring. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so you guys have have hunted a lot together. Um, Boundary Waters trips. Oh, oh, it was Yukon Jack. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. That was Yukon Jack. Jack. Because my first, the first alcohol I ever had was Yukon Jack uh, on uh, at uh, Lower Basswood Falls mm. with you guys, which is a, a great campsite, by the way. It's a top secret. Don't tell anybody about it. It's a really cool place. We used to love going there. And Dan, what was your first? My mom listens to this show. <laughs> I think that's cats <laughs> out the bag. She doesn't know. Well. She didn't. I've never had a sip of alcohol, mom. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Except root beer ice cream, with your mom the other day, right? Yeah, she was a fan. Yeah. So, anyways, Yukon Jack. Okay, thank you very um, much. Yeah, in the Boundary Waters. And and where did the Yukon come from? The store. Yeah, uh, yeah Russ got well, it. Well, the concept was we wanted to be able to drink while we were up there, but you had to pack in everything you, you took with you, so the the most potent alcohol we could find was Yukon Jack, 100 proof. So, wow. you know, it's two cases of beer or a bottle of Yukon Jack and a wine the, flask. The flask, yeah. 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 Yep. yeah, we had those leather, pseudo leather wine flask, wine skins that we'd fill up with uh, Yukon Jack and another yep. one of Rumplemints or something. and sit up there and watch the stars come up over the waterfall it you were great. definitely a bad influence because i because i remembered the yukon i was like 13 probably you were not and then 14 <laughs> i'm getting hot chocolate for breakfast with, well this tastes kind of minty what? yeah <laughs> why does this taste like toothpaste oh that's rumplemans hmm. that might have been our cousin jeff's influence i'm just saying <laughs> it might not have been us too <laughs> well we all turned out okay for the most part well yeah it's debatable I guess at this point, Russ, what else have you been up to? You've been taking uh, some some cool trips anywhere? Uh, you know this this trip this week um, went down to Iowa a few times with my son-in-law. Did some pheasant hunting down there um, over in uh, what was it Jackson, Iowa or Jefferson, Iowa? We went did a couple trips down there. Got some birds. Um, went uh, up to northern Minnesota a few times, duck hunting, grouse hunting. Got my daughter, my youngest daughter, in the duck boat with me this year. Cool. Um, she wasn't hunting, but she was all camoed up and sitting in the duck boat. Had a great time. She uh, thinks maybe she wants to get a gun. Oh, maybe, perfect. Maybe do that. So um, did a lot of duck hunting and uh, didn't get a whole lot, but it's, you know, it's opener. Yeah. I think we were swatting mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. You know, it was a hot, hot opener. And, and really, until this week most of the pheasant hunting has been warm you know the dogs get hot and 
and uh, got to drink a lot of water. And this, well, I this, won't say it's been cold out there this week, but it's been it's been wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This morning was with the snow on the reeds, and you know it kind of stuck to your pants and melted, and yeah, it a uh, little chilly. So we've got dry socks on now and ready to go out again. The boot dryers have a have been in heavy rotation. Yep. These last couple of days. Um, it, it's made late season pheasant hunting tough because normally we can get into that. That's a big cattail slough that we hunted this morning, and that's where they all are. Um, but when it's not frozen, it gets real wet. Like, I put the, the knee-high rubber boots on today, and I'm glad I did. Like, I was able to get in there, and thankfully I didn't go over my boots. I went way over my boots yesterday a few times. But, um, but no. How did, how did your grouse hunting go this year up there? You know, I I uh, had one flush. I, I only got up one weekend. Um, it was super windy, so I had my my wife and daughter went with me, and uh, they were kind of the trail walkers. And the dog and I, we were out, you know, beating the brush. And it was just so windy; they were, you know, holding tight. But it's it's uh, been a great year up north for for grouse. So, well, I'm glad you could make it out. I know Wade. Wade mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that you were gonna. He was gonna try to get you out here, and I. I uh, I'm yeah. glad it worked out. So it's yeah, good to see. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's. Uh, we've been trying to get out here for. Well, we've been what, five, six years. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it because that's just it. We haven't hunted together in ages. Your job took you different states, and we, you know, just weren't able to stay in contact uh, outside of uh, social media and telephone. So finally, you're back in Minnesota, and we get a chance to get out and chase some birds. Yep. Great yep. day, and we're not done. Uh, I know Jason and Ryan went and got us some chicken, so we got to go. We got to get. We got to talk to Jeremy Smith. We got to eat some chicken, and then there's one guy in the group that doesn't have a bird yet. Oh man, here we go. His name here we go. rhymes with Schmaid. <laughs> That's the best you could come. You know, I was yeah, going to talk about my bad, favorite moment it? of the yeah. year was hunting with you guys, but now I'm not sure this is really someplace I want to go again. <laughs> well, it's not over yet. It's not it's still over. Still time yet. to turn it around, and uh, you've had some opportunities. We'll 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 just all carry cameras, and you can be the only one carrying a gun. This I afternoon. don't think that'll help me. <laughs> you know what? You know, I'll give you. You got to build some confidence. You're a good shot. You are a good hey, shot. So, yeah. You know what? Yeah. You've got this one. Hey, Positive influence. Hey, I believe know, in you, I, Wade. I've shot plenty of pheasants this year if i continue to miss it's okay yeah i've actually been happy with my pheasant shooting up until recently and honestly it's like catch and release i don't mind missing a pheasant it happens i mean i love to eat them and i love to get the retrieves for the dog but honestly if i miss i'm okay with it because that means either i or somebody else is going to get another chance at that bird for a flush for the dog work for the experience potentially putting it in the bag uh, or it's just going to be another one for next year and making lots of little pheasant babies. So it's okay to miss Wade. It's I appreciate okay. that. So uh, it's graceful of you, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get some real birds. All right, we got to take a break. More with uh, the Sporting Journal radio, radio when we come back, including Jeremy Smith from Angling Buzz talking about barrel trauma, forward-facing sonar, and uncut angling. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, sportingjournalradio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. Um, 
It's been a pretty interesting week for a number of reasons. And we thought we were sliding into this last week of the year as a pretty easy one. We got some friends and family in town and we're going to go pheasant hunting and, and uh, just talk about the last year. And then a video drops on the internet and just throws a, a drops a bombshell on everything. Uh, so Uncut Angling put out a video about barotrauma and forward-facing sonar and specifically called out a video that uh, Angling Buzz did with Jeremy Smith and a couple of the other guys there at, at Linder's and along with the DNR. And it, I just want to bring, let's just bring Jeremy on. Jeremy is with us right now. And um, Jeremy, my phone went crazy when that video came out. I can't imagine what your phone was like. Hey guys, yeah. No, it was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I was in that, we were in the studio and ironically enough, we were uh, putting together a forward facing sonar unit when uh, Jake came in and it's like, you guys aren't gonna believe this uncut angling video just, just dropped and uh, you're getting called out. So no, it was interesting uh, to see, obviously it, you know, when he put something out, people pay attention and it uh, definitely got the attention of a lot of folks. Yeah, and, and you know, to his credit, uh, he's good on YouTube. He makes entertaining videos. He's got a huge following. But the issue that I have is he, I think he was just misguided in, in everything that he went out and did. And I, I don't want to sit here and bash Aaron by any means because, you know, I think he, he's done a lot of good things for, for anglers and showing people how to catch some fish. But to, for him to come out and say... You know, that you, you were using bad science and it's extre extremely flawed and then went out to proceed to catch all these crappies in really deep water and watch them on a live scope swim down to the bottom and then say that everything you guys did, these guys did is wrong. And and that and he did, I guess, Dan, he did go on and kept saying, don't fish in deep water, don't fish in deep water, yep. and then proceeded to fish in deep water and showed these fish going back safely. Now... I mean, to me, that's just slightly irresponsible. That's my personal opinion on it. Um, Jeremy, when it comes to what he was saying about the study, I think the other thing to, that, that it's important to remember is this wasn't a one-time thing, right? Like you guys weren't going out there to do this so the DNR can make decisions based off this one time out there or two times out there, whatever it was, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just say, uh, you know, to start too, that uh, I've, I think I've watched pretty much every video that Aaron's done, incredibly talented angler, done some awesome stuff. And uh, um, yeah, so just to clarify as well, that Linder Media didn't do this science. Uh, we try to work as closely with the DNR whenever we can uh, with fisheries issues because we're in the fishing industry and healthy fisheries uh, make our job a lot easier. And it's really important, you know, obviously for anybody who enjoys the outdoors to have great healthy fisheries. So. Um, that was a pilot project also. So Mike Hainer, a coworker of mine, is on this panfish work group. So it's a group of stakeholders that works with the Minnesota DNR to look at different fisheries issues uh, in regards to panfish. So whether it's the Quality Sunfish Initiative, barrel trauma had been coming up for a long time, anglers having concern about it. And uh, so they decided to move forward with a pilot project to try to understand what they could do to make uh, to somehow quantify what the effects are of barrel trauma. Of course, it wasn't perfect, but it was the, you know, something to get the ball rolling. And I think anybody who has uh, fished for crappies in late fall during the ice, you know, I think about one of the first times that uh, um, I saw it really bad was I had taken a, a few anglers out 
on a, on a lake in northern Minnesota here. And we were catching crappies and they were like 18 feet down over like, you know, 22 feet of water adjacent to a basin. And we were, we were catching fish and it was, it was fun. Um, and all the fish appeared to be fine. And we went and fished some other spots and came back. And well, there was a bunch of fish floating, you know, an hour later. Or so, so that was, you know, this is years ago. It's like, holy man, this is, this is pretty, pretty serious. And I think anybody who's ice fished, you know, Minnesota here, probably Wisconsin, gone to a, one of the crappie holes where there's a bunch of fish houses and you have a year where there's clear ice. I've seen a bunch of dead crappies sitting up under the ice. So uh, we know that fishing in deep water, you know, can have some negative effects on the, on the fish. And Aaron brought that, brought that up as well. But just wanted to make the point that we didn't conduct this survey. This was a pilot project. Um, and these are the results. So yeah, I mean, obviously the, the fish, you know, that was one of the first things we saw too, is that the fish were hitting the edge of the net. That's a bad deal. And I will also say that we did um, use forward facing sonar. We did set up a couple units as well to watch fish that were caught from that same basin. And we did see fish return back towards the bottom. We saw fish that went down about 12 feet and just seemed to swim at that 12 foot range for a long time until they were, we, we couldn't keep track of any anymore. And we did see fish that went down and then floated back up and were not seen again. So um, without the net, we, we saw, you know, some, some results as well. So it's not perfect, but uh, you know, really the goal is just to try to, you know, make sure that we've got healthy fisheries in the future. Yeah. I mean that, that it wasn't out to. And I'll make... also say real quick that I am not against forward facing sonar. Yeah. Water. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. it, it... <laughs> I mean, obviously, and you and I are in a work group with the DNR to discuss the effects of forward-facing sonar and, and you know, what what's going to happen, what could happen in the future. Nobody wants to ban it. The DNR doesn't want to ban it. We've we've had meetings with the DNR about about this topic. And in fact, I was kind of surprised about how some of them were so like, yeah, no, we're not, we don't want to ban forward-facing sonar. We like it, you know, whatever. It's, we're not going to take, put more restrictions on anglers out there. Um, but to, it, I was talking to somebody else, too, about the net specifically and about fin clips. And you, you talk about safe handling and keeping the fish out of the water. And he was doing percentages. And I don't know where he was coming up with these numbers. But um, without a fin clip or that net, how else do you track these fish? What's the better solution? You know, and obviously, I'm sure you guys are already trying to think of that right now. Uh, and of course, you don't want to keep the fish out of the water any longer than you have to. But what what are better solutions? And obviously, the DNR has used those vertical nets like that in a lot of studies uh, in the past. That's what they have. That's what they've used. That's what they know. What's a better option? How else would you be able to track these fish, Jeremy? Yeah, so I, I don't mean to step on what, what they have in mind for this, but, you know, kind of again, coming back to the, just using the forward facing sonar as a tool is something we definitely want to explore and look at catching a number of fish with that, seeing what their response is, and then uh, possibly following up then with an underwater uh, drone, basically to go back, look under the ice in a grid pattern, and then also search the bottom after an extended period of time to see what we see. What we, see. we have no idea how that's going to, how that's going to work either, but that would be, you know, the, probably the least handling of the of the fish, but again, it's, it's not our project. We just thought it was of interest and wanted to make sure that we, you know, show people that again, like Aaron said, catching fish from 
deep water can often have some negative consequences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we've all seen it, anyone who's fished in deep water. And I think that is ultimately one of the messages that that frust, you know that is out there that has frustrated me about that video the most is that I understand he continues to say, don't fish in deep water. But when people, particularly younger anglers, saw him make a point of catching those fish in deep water and releasing them and saying they're, you know, essentially saying they're fine, that I think is what a, a big takeaway is going to be for a lot of people. So that that's one of the issues that I had with that video because we're trying to, we're, the whole thing behind the barrel trauma study is to try to educate anglers about the dangers of fishing deep water. And to, and to try to, if you're going to do it, at least catch your five or 10 or whatever your limit is in that body of water and get out of there. You know, keep keep the first five you catch or whatever if you're just trying to catch catch fish to cook. But if you're out there to catch 50, you know, you, you could definitely be doing some damage on those fish. And the other thing, when you say using an underwater drone, and we got to take a quick break, so I'll let you answer this on the other side. But um, that's an if you've got a school of crappies that are 40, 50 fish deep, maybe, a, uh, you know, 40 fish 40 to 50 fish thick maybe it's not that big 30 fish 10 fish whatever the case may be is if it's bopping back down there into a school of similarly similarly sized crappies how can you track that fish you know that that's my biggest issue Mm -hmm. um we'll talk more about that with jeremy smith uh when we come back talking about barrel trauma and forward-facing sonar and more on sporting journal radio live target the leader and match the hatch is back with new lures that also match the action introducing the live craw the live craw is irresistible to bass walleye and other freshwater species ftex winner the ultimate frog looks and acts just like a swimming frog with an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs the ultimate frog has two styles two sizes and eight colors and iCast and FTEX winner, the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertillakescountry.com. We're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on this radio station or watching this on YouTube or maybe you downloaded the podcast. Thank you very much. If you like it, please give us a like, give us a share, give us a review, subscribe to the podcast. Or if we're saying something that you've got an opinion about, comment below on our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear from you. Everybody that comments on our videos is entered to win a new hoodie like this one right here or a hat or something from our Fish Hunt Forever Sporting Journal Radio store. Find that at SportingJournalRadio.com. Jeremy Smith. How about that? <laughs> Except that. Oh. That might be oh, a little it. aggressive. Jeremy Smith is our guest right now. Um, they had an angling buzz video uh, that came out that Aaron Weeb then came out with an uncut video trying to expose the bad science. And I just, uh, I, you know, like I've told a lot of people, I think Aaron's heart was in the right place. I just think his anger is a bit misguided, or maybe anger is not the right word for it. But uh, I appreciate, appreciate his efforts. I just didn't like the way he went about it um and Jeremy you know specifically I think his biggest I feel like his the biggest takeaway was he was he was trying to trash the or or, you know say that the vertical net was the issue and then of course the fin clipping and keeping fish out, out of water and all of that what do you think the better methods are 
you know, or, or, or if you're going to use a, an underwater drone to, to follow a fish around, how do you, how do you keep track of that s- single fish in a school of crappies? Well, I don't, I don't have all the answers for that, but you know, in, in terms of following the fish around with the drone, I think that the, the you know, a, a forward facing sonar is a better tool for that. It would be more likely that we would, we would use the drone to come back to that area and look at the bottom to see if there are dead fish on the bottom and then look okay. under the ice see if there are dead fish under the ice after a, a certain period of time. And, and we know the areas that the, the fish were, were caught in. So, I mean, that, that's a possibility. It's hard to get close to some fish with that drone as well. Some critters like smallmouth seem to be curious about it. Panfish, you know, can kind of go either, either way um, with it. So, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I, I, I think that, you know, having that forward facing sonar just to see what happens and maybe there's some threshold where the fish are fine and there's a you know maybe if you're the the basin depth seems to have some relevance to how the the fish are so it does seem like that if you're you know if the the basin was 35 and you're catching the fish at 30 versus 45 and you're catching the fish at 30 and this is this is just anecdotal that it does seem like there's uh more severe barrel trauma which doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because the fish are at the same depth but perhaps they spend a little bit more time uh, near the bottom where there's a little bit more pressure. And, and so I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I think it's, it's worth exploring and seeing what we can, we can learn uh, the, the technology is absolutely amazing. There's never been yeah. a technology in my opinion, that has been more powerful. Uh, obviously mapping is a, is a huge deal, but it does make the fishing experience great. There's so much that you can learn from it. It's, it really is remarkable. And I, I just, I, I know that you can take this, tool with a good team if you want to go put the hammer down on crappies and i'm not saying that just because you find fish you can catch all the fish but you can do some serious damage with this tool and that that's kind of our point is that you know what you know how do we educate people about this how do we make sure that we're not using this to just go you know sweep a lot of these fish out of these out of these systems and you know kind of like we talked about too in the in the meeting brett is understanding you know what what's really there right now and how is this technology affecting the fish? Because we don't know, um, and we're not trying to make assumptions that this is going to ruin fishing. We're just saying that it, it can be a lot more, you can be a lot more effective with it than without it in most cases. My head exploded the first time I used LiveScope. Like <laughs> the the ability to, to see and learn that fish behavior is unlike anything else uh, out there when it comes to electronics. I mean, underwater, it's, it's as close to an underwater camera that you can use in murky water. It's the only way that I can kind of describe it. You can see tail, tail beats, you know, you can see a fish reacting to your bait. When you had uh, traditional sonar and you saw an arc that was stationary, you thought maybe fish were just laying on the bottom somewhere. When you start seeing them with, with forward-facing sonar, all of a sudden they're moving, you know, uh, depending on the fish species, they're, they're, they can be very, very active. You can see them react. Some of them are getting shy and and don't like the sonar and they're leaving they're getting they're getting pressured the the live scope is not a a magic fish catcher but i've definitely caught a lot of fish that i wouldn't have caught without it and and like i said in that meeting we've you know dan and i sat on a pot of fish one time trying to catch them because they were there on the live scope and some were chasing but clearly they were either the wrong species or they were really turned off or what and we wasted an hour and didn't catch a fish and we had fish all over the place underneath us so I love it. I think it's going to get 
as the price comes down on the technology, it's a great recruitment tool for getting kids involved or, or getting, you know, people that aren't traditional anglers involved because, my gosh, instead of staring, staring at a, a, the surface of the water for hours, especially if you're trolling and you're nodding off while you're not catching anything, all of a sudden you see a whole world under the surface. You're seeing weed beds, you're seeing tree stumps, <laughs> maybe submerged vehicles or some sort of structure that's down there that you had no idea about. It's fascinating. Nobody wants to see forward-facing sonar disappear, including the DNR, and uh, which is why we're part of that group to discuss it just a little bit. And I think the biggest thing that's going to come out of this discussion is education. Education when it comes to barotrauma, education when it comes to forward-facing sonar, and it's going to come down to personal responsibility, which is what I think should be more practiced more often in the real world with everybody anyway, take responsibility for yourself. Don't put too much pressure on the fisheries. Don't go out there and, and catch, you know, catch two limits in a day. Don't go out there and catch and release fish in 50 feet of water when you know half of them are probably not going to survive it. You know, take, take some personal responsibility out there and understand the effects of, of what you're using, what you're doing, and where you're doing it. And know that we want to keep these fisheries sustainable for the future and future generations. So that, that's, that's the, the bottom line, I think, in, in, in all of this, uh, is more about education and not regulation, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more with that. It, it does seem like, you know, the, when you're having these discussions, it, it always comes back to, you know, education. And I am certainly not one for increasing restrictions on fisheries or, or taking away opportunity um, for no good reason. Right. But, right. um, we just, again, we just need to really understand what the implications are switching topics a little bit, you know, muskies that, that came up in the discussion before that's something that I, I'm a muskie fisherman and love it. And it's a really big concern that, uh, you know, going out again in, in June and early July and seeing dead muskies floating on the lake, which you'd never seen in your life before, like, Hey man, something's happening. These are big, precious fish. You know, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? How do we, you know, what, what, what's happening? We need to, we need to take good care of these fish. And I think the only thing you can do is to, is to educate people on it. it it's trying to be proactive for once. I feel like we're actually trying to be proactive in this state. And, and honestly, the thing I like about Aaron's video is it's creating these discussions. We're having yeah. these discussions. We're self-policing ourselves. You know, it's Aaron had some points. We've got some points here. And, and so it's trying to find to find the answers. We don't have all the answers. And so it's 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 generating discussion, which is ultimately good. We just hope that uh, we're not putting the wrong information out there. And, you know, right. if, if Aaron's method of releasing those fishes works and is successful, that's fantastic. That's incredible. But if it's not, I'm hoping that there's not a lot of anglers out there that are going to go fish this winter and say, oh, well, Aaron released 12 perfect yeah. crappies, and now they're going to go sit in 40 foot all winter and catch fish all day thinking they're releasing them, and they're not, and we're back to that whole problem again. It's a discussion that's been happening for a long time, and I hope we didn't just reverse 10 years going back to before we knew anything about barotrauma. Yeah, well, that's just it. I think a lot of people are still learning what barotrauma is, and education was coming out the right way, and then to have some, you know, to have this video, I think the timing is is, is terrible on it uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you Jeremy one thing with with Aaron's video he he used that demonstration in the fish tank there um, with the plastic bag and you know 
Mark Bocciglupi and we have discussed uh, descending devices quite a bit. And um, particularly, I've discussed them with lake trout because I think lake trout can handle going up and down a lot better than maybe a walleye or a crappie based on how they're built. When he says that if you can get that fish back down, he's he's essentially making the case for a descending device for crappies, right? But personally, I'm not sold on that theory. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, I think, again, I, I can't say that it's, it's you know, solves the, the problem. Um, but one, one thing I would say is that, you know, take crappies out of it, you know, start dealing with bigger fish that you might not be harvesting a big pike, a big trout, a big muskie, um, big walleye, for example, big smallmouth. If you, you catch a fish that just won't release, I mean, it happens. That's just the bottom line. So can a descending device indeed get the fish down to depth and the fish can recover. So I think that's something we certainly want to look at and, and understand if this, you know, can, can reduce the mortality rate or, you know, just make it. Give them a chance yeah. anyway. I mean, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but, but, the, but the idea is that you just want to make sure that the, it's a better case scenario than leaving the fish floating on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, and I'm all for, I'm, I'm not trying to make the case against them. I guess I, maybe I misworded my question, uh, but yeah. uh, cause I'm, I'm in favor of it. I just, I think a fish like a lake trout is, it's going to be more beneficial for than say a, a crappie or a walleye. Um, but if you are, if you do have one that is exhibiting signs of barotrauma and you want to try to get it back down, of course, use it. Don't fizz it. That doesn't work. That's not going to yeah. be a, a cure for it. Uh, but a descending device would at least be a chance. But again, it comes back to that education of knowing that whether you get that fish back down once it's gone through that situation, uh, what what kind of damage has been done. So that I guess I was curious to see, you know, like how much his theory of that of getting the fish back down and letting it self-regulate again and, and the getting the swim bladder back down to size, like if that holds water. Uh, uh, hold, hang on, hang on, hang on. Thank you very much. Yeah. And maybe it does. All right, we got to go to uh, the podcast. So if you're listening to this on the radio network, we're going to leave you right now, but we'll have, we're going to continue this on the podcast right now. So go to our YouTube channel or download it at sportingjournalradio.com. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybell Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. So, um... The other thing, when it came to when he was releasing the fish, he was he was removing the air and closing the mouth. Is he just, I mean, I was curious how much impact that would actually have. And is he just trying to eliminate any sort of air from the fish, you know, inside the fish in general? Yeah, I think uh, what he was trying to do, and I, I don't mean to make assumptions here, but just if, if any more buoyancy to the fish is going to make it more difficult for it to release. So if there's ice in it, obviously ice is more buoyant than liquid water, so it's more difficult for the fish to descend. So I think his point was to just make sure that there isn't fish trapped in the fish's mouth uh, or there's not slush in there, so it just makes it easier for the fish to get 
to get down. And circling back around to the descending device deal too, I think the point we were trying to get across there, Brett, is it's not a tool that you're going to catch a fish, descend it, catch a fish, descend it, catch a fish, descend it. It's it's like having a, a bolt cutter in your boat. If you have a fish that's hooked really deep, you can cut the hook and remove the hook and, and more safely release the fish. It's It's more of an emergency tool if for some reason you encounter a fish that has barrel trauma and will not get back down to depth. Yeah, it's a last resort, essentially. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Well, what do you have planned for the future that we can talk about or, or any other things you want to comment on uh, on that video? Well, you know, I think the research is going to continue on barrel trauma. There's definitely issues with the way the study went down last time and how do we make it better. So I believe the second week of January, the DNR is looking at doing uh, another project on this. Mike has been kind of coordinating with that, and our plan is to hook up with them and see what the what's happening, and we'll we'll probably do another video on what their their plan is to move this research forward. And again, the research is not directed at limiting fishing, stopping the use of forward-facing sonar. It's more so just to understand what is happening to fish that are caught in deep waters, so we can quantify it a little bit better and understand what this means for the future of our fisheries. Yeah. I mean, it's research, you know, it's, it's an ongoing research. Can I float this idea out there? Just yeah. For, I don't know. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. No, I was going to ask, I don't know if you guys are going to the Minnesota DNR round table uh, on the 19th of January or not, but I know that this is going to be a, a topic uh, discussed down there in fisheries as well with the stakeholders. So it'll be interesting to see, with the number of different uh, folks down there, what the viewpoints are and, and how uh, how people are viewing this forward-facing sonar barrel trauma issue. They just, the two just seem to intersect all, all the time. It's, it, you yeah. know, I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from is that it's, it's catching fish with deep water because forward-facing sonar is such a good tool for, for doing that. I'm gonna have to go to the round table now. Yep. I, I'd kind of given up on the round table in, in years past because of how things went there and how it was structured and what the actual topics were. But I guess I'll come back. I'll come yeah, back to I agree. it. So let me float this out there, the thought. But well, we so, got to keep pushing. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So Aaron Weeb's Canadian. I know we're all pretty familiar with Canadian government, how things go in the hunting and fishing world with Canadian government. We've seen them try to ban hunting shotguns. I wonder if some of this concern that Aaron has is you know, the Canadian government could be a little volatile if we want to dig into government and politics. And they, if they see there's an issue in the States with forward facing sonar, are they going to jump all over it before even people in America would? Yeah. Is that maybe part where his concerns from just throw, I don't know, throwing that out there. That could be way off on that, but no, I don't know. I'm, I th I, well, I think that's a valid concern. I, honestly, I think that's a valid concern for all of us. And yeah. uh, and believe me, I actually appreciate his concern for sure about wanting because I love forward facing yeah. sonar. I don't want to see it banned. He's looking out for fishing, just the, in realistic. He's trying to look out for fishing the same way we are. Yeah, he has the same concerns we do. I mean, there's a reason that we're called Fish Hunt Forever now with all the things that we do because we want to see fishing and hunting last forever. And we're going to do what we can to, to continue that. So I appreciate his efforts to try to make sure that, yeah. you know, but I, but he's just, I just don't think he realized that this study wasn't to try to ban forward facing sonar, I guess. Yeah, that could be, I don't know. 
it's just it's, it's I have been thinking about it a lot and trying to think of a lot of different angles that this could be coming from but um, hopefully hopefully it's it's generating a lot of buzz a lot of a lot of angling buzz is being generated <laughs> I see what from you did this, there. so it's uh it's probably a good thing for the industry <laughs> yeah, yeah man. man no I, I don't I can't speculate on what what the Canadian government would would do with it but I know there's plenty of uh folks up there who really hate it you know and obviously there's people on both sides of the fence they don't they don't want to see it they don't want it on their lake they think it should be banned i mean there there is definitely a group of people that that feel that way that it's it's the end of the world and and uh you know it it, whatever so there's 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 varying opinions on it but again you know aaron made the point that it is the most amazing tool for learning ever in fishing yeah. i mean it is just absolutely remarkable what 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 you learned and how many things we thought to be true may not necessarily be be true and and how much more interactive and interesting it, it makes it so um you know I'm, I'm i'm not in favor of getting rid of the technology i'm just in favor of people using it responsibly the other thing exactly. i'll throw out there too is in canada Can- canadian lakes don't see not even close the amount of pressure that our lakes in minnesota see you know, there's some popular lakes up there, but you look at the number of hard houses we see on our lakes in Minnesota. And so that's another reason there's the effect of barotrauma or delayed mortality or hook mortality might not be as detrimental to a lake in Canada because they just don't see the amount of pressure where our lakes, I mean, it's getting busier and busier every year, you know, which is awesome for the sport, but it also means we have to be on top of our, our actions and make sure we're not being irresponsible with what we're doing because it's it's not like 30 years ago where people could get away with it and still have healthy fisheries. We have a number of anglers right now that might could see problems faster, I guess. Yeah. Like a, a crash is uh, more easily achieved in a state like Minnesota that has yes. a million angler, anglers yeah. or whatever our numbers are. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying there couldn't be problems in Canada with barrel trap and hooking mortality, but of course it's uh, more likely to have bigger issues in a state like Minnesota. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the crappie thing in Minnesota for years, even before forward facing sonar, I mean, with the smaller lakes, a lake would be hot for a season it gets nuked, people catch all the fish, yeah. then it's onto this lake, and then five years later, you know, the crappies are back. I mean, that's one great thing about crappies is they're, they do seem to be resilient. You can wipe out a lot of the big fish in the, in the lake, and after a certain period of time, typically, they'll respond by producing good numbers, and you can still get the large fish back in the system where bluegills, on the other hand, yeah. it seems once you nuke, the big fish from a lake, they just don't seem to recover. They just respond by producing lots and lots of little fish. So this problem of, you know, a hot lake getting fished out has been happening in this state for years and years and years and years, but now it can just happen at a much higher frequency would be the concern. Yeah. One of the negatives of uh, easy communication and social media and, and things like that, you find out about the, and these dang TV shows. Gosh, yeah. And radio shows, especially <laughs> cheapers. Those media guys, man. I'll tell you what. Oh, man. Well, sometimes they do good work too. And I think uh, the study on barotrauma, I think is awesome. Uh, even with all the flaws, <laughs> the bad science or whatever. No, I mean, that's how you learn. And uh, obviously it's an ongoing study and it's all about education and, and teaching people uh, the effects of how they, how they 
fish, you know, and, and what pressure they put on the fish, where they catch them, and what technology they use. And it's all about keeping these fisheries sustainable. So, uh, Jeremy, I, re- I know it was short notice, and it was, you know, controversial. So I really appreciate you jumping on with uh, short notice with us and, uh, you know, keep up the good work over there and let's, let's circle back and do this again. And, and we're going to film some Prairie Sportsman stuff uh, about this study too. So I'm sure we'll see you out there on the ice. Yeah, man, that sounds great. And I'll see you guys in a couple weeks, probably down in the, down in the cities and yeah, maybe in a boat lake trout fishing again at some point in time. Oh yeah. I like it. We need to make that happen for sure. For sure. All right, Jeremy Smith, thanks for the time today on the show. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.